Welcome to the NJ Criminal Podcast with Meg Horner. This is part two in a series about police accountability and protesting and how to protect yourself when you're protesting. If you have not heard the first episode, you can click back to the podcast homepage and click on the preceding episode. Otherwise, here we go. In the previous episode, we talked about police accountability and the difficulties prosecutors have pursuing cases involving police misconduct in criminal court and the difficulties individuals have in pursuing lawsuits seeking damages in civil court due to the doctrine of qualified immunity. In this episode, we're going to examine the following questions. What rights do you have when you're protesting? If police aren't accountable, how can you protect yourself from criminal charges or worse yet, physical harm? First, can you protest? The answer, absolutely. The First Amendment provides in part that Congress shall make no law respecting the right of the people peaceably to assemble. So, the right to peaceably assemble is a constitutionally guaranteed right that every citizen has. Now, the next question is, where can you protest? And the answer is anywhere in public. Streets, sidewalks, parks. The only thing you have to be careful of is that if you are on private property, you could be charged with trespass. Also, you cannot block vehicle or pedestrian traffic. You do not need a permit to protest. However, there are some events that might require a permit, such as certain parades, certain marches, anything that might block traffic. In addition, any regulations set forth by a municipality dealing with what is known as time, place, and manner of the uh, certain parades or uh, marches are generally upheld as long as those regulations are content neutral, are narrowly tailored, uh, and have ample alternative channels for communicating a speaker's message. The next question a lot of people ask is, can I use my cell phone or some other device to record what is going on and or record what the police are doing? And the answer is, as long as you're on public property, then yes, you can photograph and video and the police cannot seize and or search your cell phone without first obtaining a warrant. The only thing that you have to be careful about is that certain states have different wiretap laws. And so if you are recording with a cell phone and you have Uh, the ability to also record audio, you need to be aware of your state's wiretap laws. For example, in New Jersey, you are only allowed to record audio if you are a party to the conversation. New Jersey is what is known as a one-party consent state. So as long as you are a party to that conversation, you can record the conversation, the audio portion, that is. So you want to be careful if you are using your cell phone to record in New Jersey and you are also recording audio and you are not a party to that conversation, down the road there could be 
uh, an assertion that that recording was not obtained lawfully. Now let's talk about police interactions with the public. Uh, And first, you need to remember uh, that police have a duty to protect the constitutional rights of all individuals, and that would include individuals' rights under the First Amendment to peaceably assemble. But when you're talking about the different ways that police interact with members of the public and individuals in the public, there's generally three different uh, modes of interrogation or types of interaction that police have with the public. The first type of interaction is something known as a field inquiry. And the police always have the right to approach someone on the street, ask that individual if they would be willing to answer questions with them. And the police don't have to have any level of suspicion to do that. The individual though, in a field inquiry situation, is under no obligation to answer any questions uh, posed by that police officer and can turn around and walk away. However, if the police have what is known as a reasonable, articulable suspicion to believe that the individual they are interacting with has committed a crime, then the police have the right to conduct what is known as an investigative detention, commonly known as a stop. A very common uh, scenario would occur if, for example, a police officer approaches a group of individuals, uh, smells marijuana, that officer has then a reasonable, articulable suspicion to believe that uh, the individuals have been smoking marijuana and presuming you're in a state like New Jersey where uh, marijuana is still illegal, that police officer has the right to conduct an investigative detention, has a right to stop and talk to uh, that individual or individuals. The thing to keep in mind, though, during a stop type of situation is that because the person is not in custody, the person does not have any right to Miranda. In other words, the police can question that individual or individuals without advising them of their right to remain silent. The other thing to keep in mind is that during a stop type of situation, the officer is not allowed to search the individual. However, if during this stop type of situation, the police officer has a reasonable articulable suspicion to believe that that person they are interacting with is armed and dangerous, then the officer would be allowed to conduct an open-handed pat-down of the outer clothing of the individual to determine whether or not there are any items that would be consistent with a weapon. But the officer would have to later be able to specifically articulate what it was that made the officer believe that that person was in fact armed and dangerous. For example, uh, did the person keep their hands in their pocket and refuse to remove them? Uh, Did the person uh, commit something like a furtive movement and then deny committing a furtive movement, uh, essentially lie about it, uh, creating uh, a reasonable suspicion in that officer's mind that the person might be uh, carrying a weapon? Was there a bulge or a visible sign that there was a weapon? 
pat downs for safety during a stop type of situation cannot be conducted routinely. If, however, the officer conducts an open-handed pat down of the outer clothing of a person they're interacting with and feels something that in that officer's training and experience is consistent with a weapon or some other type of contraband, then the officer would have probable cause to arrest the individual and conduct a thorough search. And that then leads us to the third mode of interaction that police have with individuals, and that's an arrest type of scenario. And in order to arrest an individual, police need probable cause. Police have probable cause to arrest an individual. They can then search that individual incident to arrest without any type of warrant. And it's very, very common for a police officer to interact with an individual, stop them, and that stop escalate to an arrest very, very quickly. So what if you're stopped and or that stop escalates to an arrest? First thing you should do is say, am I free to leave? Don't argue and don't resist. If the officer places you under arrest, ask why. Again, don't argue and don't resist. Even if you believe that the arrest is unlawful, it is not uncommon for an individual to be uncooperative when police are investigating a crime and then that individual ultimately get charged with an obstruction just for failing to comply in a situation when they may not have been arrested uh, had they complied. You should always remain silent. You should always ask for a lawyer. You should never consent to any search of your person or anything on your person. If you feel your rights are being violated, take note of the officer's name or their badge number. Uh, And keep in mind, not all officers wear body-worn cameras. Not all police vehicles have motor vehicle recorders. It's certainly helpful down the road if you think that your rights have been violated to later be able to obtain the body-worn camera and review the conduct of uh, the officer. But again, if the officer uh, is in plain clothes or undercover, uh, they may not have the body-worn camera or that particular department might not uh, have their officers wearing them. Uh, although most departments are moving towards having all of their officers have them on the on their uh, person when they are in uniform. Uh, But if you uh, are not sure, take note of any witnesses that might later be able to corroborate uh, what occurred. Now let's talk about what the First Amendment does not protect. First Amendment does not protect trespassing on private property. It does not protect disorderly conduct. It does not protect hindering apprehension or obstructing the investigation of a crime. It would not protect, uh, for example, excessive noise, looting, violence, resisting arrest, assault on other officers. These are all things that an individual cannot um, commit and then later hang their hat on uh, the fact that they were asserting their First Amendment right. And any type of resisting arrest or assault on an officer 
will likely lead to the officer using force as well. So let's talk about when a police officer is allowed to use force. Officers are trained on de-escalating situations and using the least amount of force available for a certain situation. Oftentimes, though, this doesn't happen and force escalates. And when police are trained in use of force, uh, it's essentially a continuum. So uh, it it starts with uh, the least amount of force needed uh, and can escalate all the way up to and including lethal force. So the least amount of force will be something uh, that police trainers refer to as constructive authority. Essentially, uh, if if a police officer issues a command to an individual, uh, such as stop or, uh, you know, ask them to lay down on the ground or put their hands over their head, that officer is issuing a command, uh, and that is a type of force. If the individual does not comply, then the officer would then uh, sometimes initiate physical contact. For example, the officer could place their hand on an individual's elbow to lead them to uh, a police car. If the suspect begins resisting, then the officer would use physical force. For example, wrestling a suspect to the ground. If the individual Uh, continued to not comply with the officer's commands, the officer might use mechanical force, a baton, uh, a canine, a chemical spray. The officer is oftentimes going to use force that is consistent with or greater than uh, the amount of force that the individual they are interacting with is using, uh, even if, you know, the individual uh, is denying that Uh, They engaged in any type of conduct uh, that should justify a stop or justify an arrest. Now, the only time a police officer is allowed to use lethal force is if that police officer is protecting themselves, another officer, or another individual from death or serious bodily harm. And an officer is only allowed to use lethal force if there is no other alternative type of force sufficient in that particular situation. An officer is not allowed to use lethal force if the only individual, uh, the, only in, in, the only injury is to the individual themselves uh, or to property. The officer is not allowed to use uh, lethal force to disable a vehicle. The officer, uh, once they make a determination to use lethal force, uh, there's no such thing as a warning shot. Uh, An officer is not even supposed to draw their firearm if they don't think they're going to need to use it. But, you know, when an officer makes a decision to use lethal force, they have to and are trained to keep in mind any innocent bystanders that might be in the area. Um, We've all heard of the high-speed chase where uh, police run a car through a red light and an innocent victim gets killed. Uh, Same thing, same scenario should be um, considered when officers are um, using force 
and sometimes lethal force during protests. Police swear to protect the constitutional rights of all citizens, including those rights belonging to protesters and including those rights belonging to any innocent bystanders in the vicinity of use of force, particularly use of lethal force. So, in conclusion, it's important to know and assert your constitutional rights. It's oftentimes as important, if not more important though, to know the limitations on those rights to protect yourself from criminal charges and worse yet, physical harm. For more information about criminal defense in New Jersey, go to hornerlaw.com. That's H-O-E-R-N-E-R law.com.